for the week, and uh, I just want you to know, um, you just got nothing on those fans. They are crazy. So, um, all right, enough of that. All right, we'll digress. So, we, we get pretty energized. We'll stand for our careers. You know, if we've invested in our career, we went to college, we spent time, we learned, and we'll get pretty fired up and we'll stand uh, for our careers. Um, you know, uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, I saw even on Facebook, you'll see these little debates start to fly back and forth on, deb- on Facebook. You ever been part of one of those? Um, somebody had posted that The Notebook was the greatest love movie of all time. That's what they... They were making a stand for The Notebook. And I said, no way, that is not the case, Dave Burnett. Uh, That is not accurate. Pride and Prejudice was way better than that. Way better than that. We'll make a stand for all kinds of things in our life. In fourth grade, I'm walking home from an angel game in California, all right? And we got jumped. No, I'm serious, we got jumped. You know, where somebody comes up and they want to beat you up. I was with my older brother and myself, and we were walking home. I was in fourth grade. He was in sixth grade. And some guys came up. And now, I I don't know. At the time, as a fourth grader, I thought these guys were huge. You know, so like I retell the story as if, you know, they were like, you know, 30-year-old armed gunmen and all kinds of stuff like that. But they were probably guys that were about our same age. But uh, as it's gone in my life up till now, um, everyone's pretty much taller than me. So uh, they were bigger. They were bigger than I was then. And my brother, I remember him saying, now, we had brother relationship just about the same as your brothers. We fought. uh, We yelled at each other. When mom and dad left the house, as soon as the garage door closed, you know, it was like all-out wrestling match time. And that's the kind of thing that happened. But that day, my brother said, you run home. I'll take care of these guys. (laughs) Now, I didn't know how he was going to take care of them. I think back now and think, that's just ridiculous. Um, but at the time, he was my big brother, you know, a couple inches taller than me, and he was telling me to go home. What was he doing? He's making a stand. He's making a stand for his family, his younger brother, who he often beat up at other times. And I guess maybe that's what I was thinking as I ran home was I was thinking, well, he takes care of me pretty good at home in the beat-up category. He probably can take these guys uh, too. So we'll stand for all kinds of things. How well do we stand for our faith in Jesus Christ? That's our question this morning. I mean, how well do we stand for the things that Christ stood for and the thing that, that Christ stands for today? That's a question that really, as a believer in Christ, we should ask ourselves that question of evaluation all the time. How well do I make a stand? When Krispy Kreme opened their donut shops in 2001, you know, up till then it had been a delivery service for grocery stores and, and uh, truck stops and places like that. But in 2001, they opened up their first store. And in 2004, they had just uh, uh, basically stores across the nation in different locations. And you know that people would wait up to about an hour and a half in line to have one of those Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, I've driven by the one in High Point. I've never seen an hour and a half line. But when they first opened, that's what was going on to have one of those, you know, hot, fresh, Krispy Kreme type donuts. I know it's dangerous to talk about food uh, in a sermon, but you'll eat afterwards really good. It's potluck day. You'll be just fine. Do you know that church growth models tell us that if a church parking lot is about 75% full, there's a good chance somebody will turn around and drive home and use that as a reason that they didn't want to come to church that day. It's amazing that we'll stand in line for a donut, but we may not circle the parking lot a couple times 
for a parking spot at church? How well do we stand for our faith in Jesus Christ? Now, I believe this. I believe most people, when push comes to shove, in the very end, that they would say, I I believe in God and I'll make a stand for God. But I think somewhere between uh, that stand and where we're at today, there is a little bit of a chasm and a gap and an emptiness of how we stand for Christ on a day in and day out basis. What does he want us to do? How does he want me to live my life? How do I run my home? How do I spend my money? What career do I choose? How do I invest? Those type of things. Sometimes there's this void, there's this chasm, this emptiness of asking the question, how well do I stand for Jesus Christ? Well, this morning we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about it specifically in terms of what's our strategy here at Wendover Hills? What's our strategy to build into people and help us all make stands for our faith? Not just in this hour, because it's pretty easy, let's face it, when we're here this hour, but when we leave here and we're in our work and our, our, our families, sometimes in tough situations and in awkward situations, sometimes we're situations where we just wish it would get better and be different. How do we make a stand there? We'll talk about that uh, as we get. But before we do that, I want to just talk a little bit about where we've been this past year. Two years ago, uh, my family packed up uh, a U-Haul and we moved across country, well, from Chicago to here. And uh, when we got here, I mean, obviously, I've told you before, I was blown away by how friendly, kind, and the connection we had with the church. That was wonderful for my family. But I want to tell you what impressed me even more was in my first few weeks of being a pastor here. I mean, before I really, you know, let's face it, had any influence on anything. I mean, you were cranking and you were doing things. I was just along for the ride there at the beginning, especially. I really fell in love with your passion for the mission. I fell in love with your passion for seeing people become Christians and be discipled and built up. I saw how you had pride in turning and saying, you see that person there? Well, you know, they came and they got saved here at the church. And then their wife or husband or child got saved and they just kept coming and they're growing and building. And, you know, I have to tell you, though it's in my core to be on board with the mission, there was something that kicked it up a notch or two in my life just coming here and seeing testimony of that. Over this past year, though, we started the year somewhere around about 125 in in weekly attendance, which was great. That was up 40 or 50 people from the year before. This year, we finish off the year averaging about 155 in our our weekly uh, worship here and with our kids as well, with our peak Sunday being 178, which just happened a couple weeks ago. and uh, which was wonderful, as as you know, we pulled out chairs here and there and everywhere, and it was uh, it was a fun Sunday. Question is, is this important? Is that important? Those numbers? Yeah, you better believe it's important. You see, sometimes in the church and pastors, especially, we get accused uh, with the phrase, "Well, it's just all about the numbers," right? Well, if the phrase, if the word "all" has to be included, then I probably I probably agree <laughs> that that's a bad statement to define us. But is it about numbers? Absolutely. It's important because we're passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. We're passionate about reaching people, inviting them to come along and be a part of the journey that that we've been a part of and that the Lord has built into us. I'm telling you, this past year and a half for myself and my life, it's never been so easy to turn to somebody and want to invite them to come to church and to be here. 
to turn to somebody and actually start having a conversation and ask, how do I mix mix in the spiritual into this conversation so I can find out what's going on in their life and how could God impact their life? It's important because we want to see people come to know the Lord and we want to see people's lives change. Our small group ministry, we have... Currently, we have about 15 small groups that, that meet in different homes throughout the week at CR here on Monday nights. About 15 or so different small groups that meet, and about 135 of you are plugged in to those small groups on a weekly basis. Now, I said there was about 155 people here. Um, so the 20 of you, I'm going to come talk to you afterwards. And we'll, no, I'm joking. We, we, but if you look at small groups and connecting into small groups at churches, I mean, we just, it just blows away the percentage of people plugged into small groups. Why is this important? Is it such a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Because on Sunday morning, when you come and we can plug in and we can sing and we can enjoy each other, and, and then when we have a little uh, greeting time, I, I have to tell the people at the sound booth, hey, uh, flick the lights or something, or, you know, so they know to get back to their seat, you know, uh, or the greeting time, sorry, uh, to get back to their seat so they, uh, um, we can continue on with the service. We can't in this size of group, you can't have the interaction, the fellowship, and the sharing about what's going on in your life and what God is doing and then build into somebody else. It just doesn't happen the same on Sunday mornings the way it happens in small group. Is there a risk to joining a small group? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because somebody's going to know you. But is there a blessing? Of course. And 135 of you have have been receiving that blessing and been a part of that blessing. Some of you stepped up this year and decided you're going to host or lead a small group. And I remember the week or two before that happened, having conversations with you. And though I didn't always see your face because we were on the phone, you know, I could feel the panic in your voice of what was about to happen in one of these small groups. Or, um, you know, will I have to clean all weekend long for this small group to come over? Or just what is going to go on? And it's been awesome to see this 135 of you plugged in that are growing deeper and connecting in relationship. Andy Stanley says... Christian growth almost always happens in community. And so the community that's happening in small groups is significant. Your generosity this year has been outstanding. You know, far better than last year in our giving numbers. Now, when I talk about giving numbers, I'm talking about your generosity. Above and beyond the tithe, there's, over the past year, and we we gave at one point in time $3,500 towards digging a well um, that we're that we have that money set aside for that purpose and we will build further into that account so we can fully furnish or fund digging that well so a, a town that carries baskets back and forth can now have a well in their, in their town. And so we're, we're working towards that. You gave towards that. $2,500 we gave to families in need. That meant people came and they just needed something in their life. They needed a, a utilities paid or they needed a bed bought or something like that happened. And you gave to those families. And it's somewhere around $2,500. In fact, it's a hard number to even track as we figure out because some of you just were so generous and how you gave, you didn't even want anyone else really knowing. You just kind of did it secretly and moved on. We gave food away to every single person that came in need of food. Not one time over the year were we not able to handle food. If we didn't have some right here, we got food and every single person receive food if they came looking for food here. If you look at that back shelf over there, now there's some potluck items back there right now. You're going to get to eat those. But the food that was there, that wasn't for you. We packed it all up yesterday and it's gone. Seven families were blessed plus plus an extra big box 
that went up to the Lot 2540 food bank that they could just pass out the way they wanted to pass out. All that happened yesterday. That means next week we just have to flip it and start again and filling up that. And when it's full, we'll send them out again. That was your generosity. This doesn't even count the, the times of giving and generosity that I'm not even aware about. I don't know anything about it. You just blessed a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, somebody in need you built into them. And that happened this, over this past year. Is that important? Yeah, you better believe generosity is important. The day as a church family, whether as individuals or a family as a whole, that we get to the point where we're so interested in our own stuff and taking care of our own lives, even some things in our life that are very significant that we need to take care of, and we forget about those outside of it, we have missed sight of what Christ stand, stood for daily. And we've missed, really, we've missed the mark in our Christian walk. And I'm proud to, to say this year, you were very generous. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't, might not have some challenge to put on each of our hearts. Um, he challenged me this past month in being generous and giving as well. Salvations is the next area. Over this, this year, we saw more than 25 people come to know the Lord in one of our ministries here at the church. Whether on Sunday morning somebody filled out a card and was ready to say yes, or whether we went out and we prayed with somebody through Celebrate Recovery or, or through some of our ministries that have gone out and served in different places, over 25 people that have plugged. Now, those are the ones we know. Some people might have made a commitment that we just weren't aware of. And many of those people have plugged in and been discipled here since in some way, shape, or form at our church over this past year. Is that important? Absolutely, it's important. And let me tell you why that's important as as we move into this second category of what we want to talk about this morning. It's important because the mission of Jesus Christ was salvations. The mission of Jesus Christ was transform lives. We said a few weeks ago on Sunday morning that loving people, though it's important and we're supposed to do it, loving people is not God's mission and it wasn't Jesus Christ's mission. It was just their mode of operation. Their mission, as Jesus says, was to seek and to save the lost. The mission was to transform the lives. For God, the mission is to draw people back to his side that they might live in right relationship with him and be blessed in their life and in their daily life and how they live their lives. That's the mission. Love is the way we accomplish those. And over this past year, I'm proud to stand as your pastor, whether with you or with people that don't know anything about you. And I'm proud to, let's say, brag a little on you and say it's just an amazing amount of love that you offered up this year for people, for people in need, whether it's physical needs or when people are in spiritual needs that needed to hear about a Savior who had come that loves them. And you did that this year. Our mission here, and I've said it many times, but our mission is to help one more person find their way back to God. That's our mission, to help one more person. And we say it specifically that way because we want you to know that all you have to do is start with one person at a time, just one person at a time who God's put out there to build into. And we want to help one more person find their way back to God. Now, we recognize that in that process, uh, there's a buildup of our own that has to happen. And so we talk about a strategy that we have to accomplish our mission. You see, if you had a mission in your life right now, I love the testimony up here from the Martins about uh, the debt recovery. And I've been kind of tracking and following them and, and listening to this journey. And you know what? They had an idea about getting debt free, 
But they had to put a strategy in place in their life to make it happen. And so when you see these Facebook posts that they put out there, it's, it's the strategy working. It's them working through it, and the Lord is blessing because of it. Our mission is simple, but our strategy gets us to our mission. And I want to talk about that this, this morning. Our strategy is basically, it's a series of these everyone statements. You see, when we're in a church this size, it's, it can be very easy for us to, to really come together and accomplish something big. And so we use the word everyone on purpose because we want to say our goal is everyone. When I say I'd like to see everyone in a small group, like I said last week, that's legit. <laughs> We're looking for everyone. And if we run out of small group leaders and homes, well, we'll figure out a way. So, and when we say everyone in service, that's kind of what we mean, everyone. And sometimes, even at the risk of sounding a little too uh, bossy or pressure-packed here, we want to make, make you know how important it is as our strategy. And so we're going to walk through that. The first one's this. It's everyone in worship. Everyone in worship. You see, part of our strategy is that this hour right here, this time we come together, would be so impactful that there wouldn't be quite a way to duplicate it throughout our week. Now, that's not to say there wouldn't be another powerful event throughout your week, spending time in God's word and prayer or accountability with a, with a friend. Those are important things. But what could happen this week, once an hour, one hour a week on Sunday mornings, could just be so impactful that it can't quite be duplicated at other times. And you know, there's times when I've brought somebody to church, I've invited somebody to come, and I've kind of purposely stood off them a little bit, and then I've gone back to them, whether uh, in another environment, somewhere else, or, or, and I've said, you know, hey, how was it? How'd it go? And I'm amazed how many times they've spoke about how amazing the worship is. Now they'll talk about the music, which is outstanding here. And the music is phenomenal. And I've been at larger churches that would love to have a, a few of our, our folks come and and be a part of their praise teams. We're really blessed in that. Um, I think you know, we, we walk through the word of God. We open up God's word and we walk through it. And we spend time really reciting verses, reading verses and breaking them down. It's an important part of the worship. But there's this community part that happens that's incredible. And it's almost the first thing that anyone says when I go up to them and say, how'd it go for you at church? They say, man, you guys, about the most friendly church I've ever seen. It was, it was pretty amazing. We had a gentleman come a, a couple months ago, and he said, look, I've been in all kinds of churches, bounced here and there, um, and, you know, I don't probably match up socioeconomic and, and everything the way your church is. This is him, his words. He said, but I've never been in a church that's, that's been so friendly, that's, that's received me the way your church received me. That's a great testimony. Our strategy is everyone in worship. We just believe something happens here that's pretty powerful. And in our contemporary culture, in fact, in our contemporary church settings, sometimes the danger, if we're not careful, is we slip into the idea that we don't really need to go to church. I mean, the church is God's people, right? It's not a building, so I don't really need to go and be there. Well, this isn't the first time that issue has popped up. You know, back in, in the New Testament, this was an issue. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tries to set it straight here. He says this in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We just talked about those. And, giving, and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day approaching. You see, 
this is an issue that, that started way back, and the writer here is encouraging us. Meet together. Be together. Something happens in this community, in this time of fellowship and worship and receiving God's word that just, it's just different at other places. And so everyone in worship is a key, important thing. Second thing is that everyone in a daily time with God. You know, I coached baseball for years, high school baseball and then college baseball. And the phrase I probably beat to death that I said to him over and over and over was, I can never coach you enough in this two-hour practice session for you to be as good as you're capable of being. There's just, it's just not possible for me to walk through it with 30 or 40 people and to give that type of uh, just that instruction that you need to become the best player that you're capable of being. And so you had to go away. Well, I didn't create that statement. I, I, my college coach told me that statement. You know, it's why I put a T with softy balls in my dorm room and, and I would hit off that, that batting T over and over into the wall uh, in my room. It's because I, I bought into that concept. And when I think about it now, when I think about it in terms of my Christian growth, the same really is true is that I can't go and listen to a pastor talk for 20 minutes or 30 or, okay, 35-ish. Um, I can't listen to that and get everything I need in that period of time. I can't hear three or four worship songs and have gone into my presence with God as much as I'll ever need to go into over the course of that week. And so we see everyone in a daily time with God, daily waking up, opening God's word up for ourselves and reading, and letting God minister to us, and speak to us. In fact, I would go so strong to say, even though you just heard me say how important this worship service is, that if there was ever a time, you know, where the gun was to your head, and you had to choose between your your time alone with God, or the worship service, don't skip your time alone with God. Don't skip that. Be in God's word on your own. Be in prayer time. Well, I don't know how to pray. Just talk. (laughs) Just talk. You're capable of far more than you might think you're capable of in going before God. You know, this month, Caleb is doing a 30 days of Christian music. Have you heard this? Um, if you listen to Caleb, uh, if you don't listen to Caleb, then you're, you're probably not, uh, you probably didn't accept this challenge. So, but for 30 days, they're just saying, hey, we, we listen to only Christian music. And at the end of 30 days, just sit down and write out anything that was different in your life plugging into only Christian music over this time. Attitude or, or, or anything that was different, write it down. It's a pretty neat challenge. Now, you don't need Caleb for that challenge. You could start it right now in your life. Or you could say, well, it's not music for me. I'm going to open up and I'm going to read God's word every single day. How many of you started? You don't have to raise your hand. You're, you're you know, January 1st, I'm going to read through the Bible in this year, you know, and you hit the begats in Genesis, right? Right right about on the, you know, day two or three, you hit the begats and he begat him and begat him. And you're like this, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so hang in there. Hang in there. It's, it is important stuff. Look, you, you got you to gotta stick with, you haven't even got to the law yet. So um, you don't even know boredom yet. Okay. So, But what comes with reading God's word and being in God's word is pretty powerful, pretty powerful. Now, many of you know I'm I'm running, I'm training for a marathon, right? Um, And the very first day I looked at the training program and I thought, it's ridiculous. There's no way on earth I'll be able to run like that. And the first day I think was like a mile and a half uh, of the running. And I was able to somehow get through a mile and a half because that was very, very difficult on the first day. You know, now I'm running long distances. I think the same thing in God's word. You may sit and think, you know, I can't, I can't read five hours. I've never been, or five chapters. I've never been much of a reader. Start with something small. 
Start with a half a chapter. I've never really done good praying with God. I try at night, but I fall asleep before I say much. Um, Just take it for 30 seconds and spend time in prayer and let it build, let it grow and let it develop. And before you know, you'll be cranking through chunks of scripture and you'll you'll be having your journal and you'll be writing and you'll be really dialoguing with what God's trying to speak to you. Psalm 1, uh, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, the sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, that's God's word, and who meditates on his law, on his word, day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do, uh, whatever they do prospers. You see, God's word is something for us to, as it says, meditate, to build on and to grow on. And just like sometimes with a tree or, or a fruit or something, we just kind of anticipate it's going to come back every year. We don't think of all that needs to go in for that to happen. But the Bible is saying here, if we plug into God's word, meditate on God's word, that we're going to be just as strong and we're going to bear the fruit just like we see in the trees and the fruit plants and whatever else as they grow year after year that we sometimes even take for granted. God's word builds and does that in our life. So everyone in a daily time with God, everyone in a small group is our third thing. We talked about small groups for just a second. Why is it so important, the small group? You see, I believe that in the small groups, we really call them a church within a church is what we're really looking for. And that your small group leader actually functions like a pastor in your group. You know, when they, they lead your group and they, they know what's going on in your life. In fact, when we were with a small group leader, sometimes I've, I've said the phrase, you know, don't let me beat you to the hospital. You know, somebody in your small group, if something's going on, be a pastor to them. Let your whole group serve those person. Now, it's not that I'm going to just, you know, send a home and hang out. I'll be there. But that's how our small groups operate. In fact, um, Kathy Woods have been keeping me up to date on, on their small group um, and, and some of the, the medical things that were going on and some of the surgery type of things. And I found that um, I was trying to stay on top of the news. Kathy was always in front of me. She always beat me to the information or what was going, except for the directions to that one where Diane was. Um, so I drove... Uh, I drove through most of Greensboro, but I got there. All right? So I got, I'm, one up, I'm one up on that. So it's like 85 to 1. So you win the others. But that's how we do it in a small group, caring for our small group. You know what? I just, I just don't know where you get that outside. Outside of a small group, I don't know where you get that type of community. In fact, I've seen, <coughs> excuse me, I've seen small groups that have somebody new plug into their small group. And they know this person for all of one or two weeks and yet they're building into that person or caring for that person or sacrificing that person as if they'd known them for years. It, it just, it doesn't make sense, but it happens in our small groups. And so that's why we constantly encourage people, be in a small group. Is there a risk? I already said there was. I mean, to sit for the first time and think, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to share. <laughs> that can be hard. <laughs> you know, we th- well, what will they say? Will they think I'm stupid? What's going to go on? But the blessing that comes is pretty incredible. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Check out the early church. This is what was going on with them. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And of course, I love that. You know, temple courts would be like meeting at the church, you know, which means every day. So that means every day we should have a church service right here. 
Okay, 10.30, you'd be here every day. No, that's not what it means. But listen to this. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, breaking bread didn't mean they just popped by for a quick snack. I mean, this was a long process to sit together, to have a meal together, and to fellowship and, and have community. It's why our small groups, just about all of them, we actually serve a meal at our small groups. Is that a little bit of a work for our leaders and for those serving? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's every week. It's a task. But what comes from it, the blessing that happens from sitting down and, and eating together and fellowshipping together before studying God's word together, it's pretty powerful. And so I just believe so strongly that everyone at Wendover Hills needs to be in a small group. It's our strategy towards our mission, being in a small group and being built up this way. The next one is everyone serving, being involved in service. Now, when I came uh, to Wendover Hills, that was something I thought, man, this, this group is, is pretty good at serving. They have a pretty good job at serving. And I latched onto that as well as something I'd say, that's got to be a core principle for us. You see, as we read God's word, if you were to take just the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you were to just read about Jesus Christ, and you were to just read about his life day in, day out, and didn't read any other scripture, but just read the gospels for a long period of time, and, I, and you walked away, and I said, well, tell me about Jesus. And you say, well, that guy loved. There's no doubt he loved. It's amazing the way that guy loved. And you would say, that guy served, constantly served other people. And we're to be like Jesus Christ, right? We say it often. And so it would, it would mean that we have to be people of service. But here at Wendover, I guess we believe a little bit different. I don't have much of a desire, you've heard me say this before, in creating a ton of ministry opportunities and then getting on the phone and calling you, begging you to fill the time slots for those ministry opportunities. I don't enjoy that at all. You don't enjoy that. Um, you know, if you see my number and you know the event's coming up, you probably don't pick up the phone. So none of us enjoy that, right? That's not our, that's not our strategy anyway. Our strategy is just to let God lead your life right now and let him build up within you what is a way he's already gifted you to be in service. Are you, mus- are you musical? Guess what? God has an opportunity for you to serve musically. He does. Are you great with kids? Guess what? He's got an opportunity for you to serve. It may be here in our kids program. And like any church in the nation, we're always in need of kids workers. That may be where it is for you. Or there may be another area serving with kids. I mean, are you just great in conversation or connecting with people? Well, your neighborhood may be the best place for you to serve and to reach out to fellowship and connect with people in service. This is what uh, Luke says, uh, writes in his Gospels. Jesus is talking, he says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? A little context, you know, they're actually reclining at the table and, and serving. This is the Last Supper is what's going on here. And uh, they're having a little bit of an issue with Jesus wanting to get up and to serve here. And Jesus says this statement, who's, who's greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? Jesus is confirming, is it not the one at the table? That's the greater person in, normally in, in society. That would be the person that's greater, right? And then Jesus says this, though. But I am among you as one who serves. What's Jesus really saying there? Well, he's saying to serve. There's no doubt about it. It's his example that we're to follow. But guess what else he's saying? I'm the least. I'm the least. He's humbling himself into a place that he says, why would I not serve? Why would I not care for somebody else? And when we think about passages, like in Philippians 2, passages when it says, think about the concerns of other ones, not just your own concerns. Those verses start to come into, into view or into context when we think about this type of verse. 
when Jesus humbling himself here and says, but I am among you as one who serves. There is never a bigger blessing you'll face in your life than leading somebody to the Lord or just serving somebody. Those two blessings are tremendous. And I know you've got a wallet full of your kids' pictures and your kids' recitals and all those kind of things. I got them too, or a phone full, I guess, we have now. All right, I've got them too. But the blessing that comes from serving somebody, the blessing that comes from leading somebody to Christ, those blessings are tremendous, powerful type blessings. I mean, they're just knowing that we're on board with God's mission and serving in that area when we do that. The second one, or the, the next one, excuse me, not the second one, is, is everyone tithing and giving. You know, it's the, uh, the things that uh, when I was in seminary, we would have these little discussions on how, how do you talk about 